0: So, many of you are familiar with Mr. Rogers. Um, I realized when I, when I asked college students if they knew who Mr. Rogers was, I felt a little old. <laughs> they had no idea who Mr. Rogers was, but I just want to let you know that for this immigrant family, with, for this young man right here who didn't know a lick of English when he came into this country, um, Mr. Rogers uh, taught me my English. I talk it well now. I learned a lot of good English from him, but I also learned a lot of good life lessons. If you're just joining us this Sabbath for the first time this entire summer, you're landing in the middle of our series, uh, God and Mr. Rogers, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And you probably, uh, are, some of you have heard this already, and some of you, you, some of you, this is new, we're doing this thing called Hope Trending. If you look on the cover of your program, you're going to see something there. There's a number. It says weeks counting. What, what, what's that number there? It says, how many weeks? 13 weeks till hope trending. Now, if you're new this Sabbath, and we've been actually getting all kinds of questions, what is hope trending? What is this thing all about? Well, it's happening in 13 weeks. That's the first thing that we want you to know. The second thing that we want you to know is that this is an opportunity for all of us to get engaged and to get connected and to get involved. And when I mean all of us, I'm, I'm talking about it's a very inclusive experience. Whether you know God uh, really, really well and have been following him for years, or whether you don't know God and have no idea who he is and you see this stuff on TV about God, uh, this is for you. And maybe you're the kind of person who knew about God and want to get reacquainted. This is an excellent opportunity for you to get reacquainted. That's what hope is. Trending is about. But if you have more questions about what it is, I want to introduce you to our website, which is coming. There it is, hopetrending.org. If you go to our website, you're going to find everything that you need to know about how you can get involved with Hope Trending, but also on how uh, what it is. And here, in short, is what it is: a crash course on how to live without fear. I don't know about you, but if you've been watching the news, if you've been catching up on your feed, you're going to see that there is fear ridden everywhere. Isn't that right? Every day there's a new headline, a new crisis, more people are dying, more people are sick. It's just all kinds of crazy nonsense. And you know what? If you look at that stuff and you don't have some good news, the fear can be crippling. And what we don't want is we don't want you to be crippled. We don't want you to feel brokenness. We don't want you to go through this life without hope. And with this event that we're doing, in just 13 weeks, you'll have an opportunity to reconsider how you view the world in such a way so you don't have to live with fear. For those of you who are part of our local congregation here, we want to give you an opportunity to be involved, and there's two ways that are very obvious. The first is, and we've been talking about this every week, is through watch parties. If you go to this website, you'll be able to register your watch party, you'll be able to get a resource pack, and you'll be able to see uh, what it means and how you can get involved with the watch party. The other is, is we need a lot of volunteers to help us run the live event that's happening right here, just down the road at the Howard Performing Arts Center. Next week, uh, in the afternoon at 4 o'clock in the youth chapel, we're going to have a very informal Q&A. So if you have questions about how you can get involved, um, if you have questions about how you want to volunteer, what it is, please come. Also, another way to communicate that you know you want to get involved is your connect card. Have you seen your connect card? It's in your bulletin. Go ahead and pull it out right now. We're going to be referencing it throughout our message this morning. Uh, It's really simple. Put your name on the front and an email address or some other form of contact. Email address is the best way to do that. So go ahead, pull that out, and on the back, if you would like to lead or host a watch party, notate it there, or if you want to be a part of our on-site volunteer team, note it there, and we'll be in contact with you shortly. We really, really want this to be something that's trending right here on campus, and you have the opportunity to be involved in sharing some really good news. Before we continue with our message, I want to invite you into a special prayer this morning. We don't know who's listening, and we don't know who's watching. And that's not a scary thing. That's an opportunity. Because this is not an insider conversation. This is a conversation that was busted out onto the world scene 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ was born, when he lived, when he died, and was resurrected. This is about everyone. Pray with me this morning. Holy Father, I want to thank you because your light and your love is so profound and so so clear and so direct that it pierces the darkness. So in the darkness that is in our hearts, for the darkness that is in our world, we ask right now for your light to shine. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be new to Christianity. You may have some ideas about it. But there are two big ideas, basically, that Christianity revolves around. And that's this thing called sin and this other thing called good news. There's a lot of different definitions out there about what is sin and what is good news. So I'm going to summarize it very simply for you just so we can all be on the same page. Sin is bad, okay? Why is sin bad? In the most practical sense... Sin acts out through behaviors and ways of thinking that bring harm to yourself, harm to others, and harm to our Creator. Quite simply put, any sin that you can think of is harmful. Can we all agree on that? And I would love to live in a world that is harmless. I would love to walk into spaces and know that no damage is going to be inflicted in me or on me. I would love to know that every day that my daughter goes to school uh, or my son goes off to college, I want to know that they're going to a safe place where there is no harm. And the reality is, is that we live in a world where there is a lot of harm happening. As Christians, we look at the Bible and what the Bible calls this is sin is this really nasty entity that causes darkness and distress and brings harm to everyone all around. So How do we answer that? How does the Bible respond to this really bad thing called sin that causes harm in every way possible? Well, good news. Why good news is good? Real simple. Good news is about how God's love makes harmful things go away forever. That's the good news. Simply put, that is the gospel, is that the way that Jesus lived... That the way that, 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 that he told us about God's love and God's character, the fact that he died for us and for our sins, the good news is that we can look forward to a time where we live in a place and in a space where there is no more harm happening. I no longer have to worry. And what we want to do with Hope Trending is we want to give you that peace that comes with the promise that a time is going to come when sin will be no more. We want to give you that peace today. Why wait Till Jesus comes to experience peace. We think and we believe and we know and we study the scriptures that you can have peace today by holding on to this promise that the good news tells us a time is coming, a time is coming where there will be no more harming that is happening. Hope trending is a do no harm kind of thing. We have to help us in this journey do not harm guidelines. There's four do-nots and four do's. I didn't want to say do-do's because that sounds weird. Four do-nots and four do's. So what's our first one? Do not crash, do pray. There's a word that we use in Christianity. It's, It's called evangelism. And evangelism is simply this. Evangelism is looking at all the sin that's in the world and saying, we are going to go and tell people about good news. It, it, that's all it is. It's the very act of taking this good news to people who don't know about it, who are living in places where they're experiencing all kinds of harm. They're living in places where they're caught into fear. And when you look around the world, aren't there a lot of people like that? There really is. I bet you you can even think of some people who are experiencing harm right now in your family, in your neighborhood, at your workplace. The work of evangelism is just simply communicating and sharing with them the good news that a time is coming when you won't have to experience that harm, that a time is coming, and even is now, where you could be delivered from the pain and anguish that that fear has had in your life. Do not crash. Don't get overwhelmed by this evangelistic effort. Yes, it is the biggest evangelistic effort that Pioneer Memorial Church has been a part of this millennium. It is a big deal. We're reaching out over 24 time zones. Did you guys know that? A live streaming event. It's huge. But don't become overcome by the thought of that. Pray. And here's what's significant. And here's where I'm really going to challenge and press this this morning. Prayer is not a passive activity. Prayer isn't something where we uh, go lock ourselves in a closet somewhere and just wait for things to happen while we recant some really powerful words. Prayer is far more active than that. And to help us understand prayer, I want to invite us to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah tells us a story of a prophet that was commissioned by God. God came to Jonah very clearly and said, listen, I need you to go to Nineveh. And I need you to tell them that if things don't change, I'm going to take that city out. The prophet knows very clearly what the call is. The prophet knows very clearly who God is. I mean, he, he, he talks to him all of the time. The prophet knows that whatever God says needs to be done, it really needs to be done. And the first surprise in the book of Jonah is this, is that we're surprised by the disobedience of the prophet. How is it that a man of God, hearing the commission to go and tell the news to these people, goes in the opposite direction? That he goes and he tries to hide from the calling of God. How is it that the one person in this story who's the believer is the only disobedient one? Once they hear the of God. I'm kind of surprised by that. Here's another surprise. We are surprised by the obedience of the sailors. They're the heathens, aren't they? They're the pagan ones. They worship all kinds of gods. But once they hear Jonah's story, and once Jonah tells them, yeah, I serve the God of the heavens and the earth, and the reason that this is happening is because, you know, I'm kind of disobeying him, uh... And they ask, "Well, how do we get out of this thing? How How do we make the storm? How do we appease your God? He says, well, you know what? Just throw me over. Jonah decides he wants to crash. What do they do? They hear the word of the Lord, throw him over. They obey. They throw him over. Guess what happens? The waters become still. And what's the first act that those sailors do? They stop and they worship God. They hear the word of God. They see it being fulfilled. And they stop And they worship God They obey him It's kind of surprising That the first person to listen to what God has to say Is not the prophet It's actually those sailors What's the third surprise? We are surprised by the whale Swallowing Jonah It's kind of crazy That a whale Or a large sea creature Could consume an individual It's kind of crazy because this is a prophet of God Why would he go out? Why would he want (laughs) to? So he had two choices, right? He could obey God and tell other people about an amazing God, right? Because God is good news. We've established that. Or he could dive into a very tumultuous sea and get captured by some behemoth animal. Really? Guess what he chose? Bohemoth animal. So for those of you today and who have in the past Been faced with these two questions. Do I do what God says? Or do I just face the storm? I really want to encourage you. Don't jump in the water. Just obey God. Just do what He asks you to do. I'm telling you. The whale, amazing things happen in the whale. You can still do amazing things without going in the whale. I promise you, you can. Great things can happen without having to go through pain and through distress. You don't think he goes through pain and distress? Well, let's read Jonah chapter 2. By the way, Jonah is like one of my favorites. It's so much a favorite that I named my son after Jonah. And not because I thought he would be stubborn and rebellious. Here's the prayer of Jonah. Chapter 2, verse 1. From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the season. The current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept for me. This does not sound like an inviting space. Avoid at all costs, but, but listen to, to Jonah's prayer. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head, to the roots of the mountain I sank down, the earth beneath me barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. I know from listening to some of your stories that there's many people in this room who have been in that pit. And they can testify, my God, my God, he delivered me. Jonah isn't delivered yet, but he, he is praying that prayer of deliverance. He's still in the whale, but he can see, he can begin to see that deliverance is there if he just holds on to God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with the song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Amen. Amen. I, I don't want you to go on the whale. It's, it's not a pleasant place. But if it takes going in a whale to be the catalyst to pray this prayer that moves you to now proclaim that salvation is the Lord, then bring it on. we got to quit being so apathetic about the thing that we say is the greatest thing in the world, the love of God. How is it that we believe this thing is so precious and so wonderful and such a great treasure that we keep it to ourselves? you know what, I'm pretty sure and confident that God's love is enough for everyone. And just because you keep God's love to yourself doesn't mean that he's going to run short. You need to share. You need to share. The more, the merrier. So if you want to be stubborn, yeah. My prayer for you, let the whale come. Let the whale come. But here's what's really exciting about the prayer, is that Jonah has this great revelation and he says, you know what, I have to do this, I have to tell salvation comes from the Lord. So here's the next surprise, and here's why it's a surprise. We are surprised by the whale vomiting of Jonah. I don't know about you, but I've been on this Christian journey for quite some time, and I can't tell you how many times I've sat on Sabbath morning in the pew and I've heard a rousing message that's a call to action. And I feel moved, and the great epiphany happens, and my heart is stirred, and I say, I gotta change this, I gotta do this. That lasts for about the two minutes that it takes for me to get from my pew to out the door. Have you experienced that? Have you been moved and stirred and said, I gotta change, I gotta do something different? And by the time you get to your car and turn the ignition on, the ignition in your heart has been shut off. Here's the thing is that if you pray this prayer, like, like Jonah prayed it, and this is really happening, you can't stay in the belly of the whale. He's got to spit you out. Because things that stay inside that aren't supposed to stay inside only make you sick. You keep a news all to yourself, and I promise you we'll have a room full of sick Christians, probably sicker than those who don't know and don't believe. I know you've seen this play out in your lives. I know that you've been witness to those who claim to know the truth, to those who claim to have the love of God in them. And they're running around and they're causing all kinds of harm to people. And here's why. Because the good stuff isn't meant to stay inside. The good stuff is meant to be shared. We're meant to be generous with this gospel. We're meant to be abundantly sharing this good news. So let's not be surprised that once you're in the belly of the whale and you have this prayer, that this prayer moves you into action. But Jonah doesn't disappoint. We are surprised by the ready repentance of the Ninevites. All they did was hear the Word of God. All they did was hear the Word of God, and they repented. Could you imagine that there are people out in the world today who haven't heard the Word of God and all they need to do is hear the Word of God and then they repent and they welcome that good news into their life. That's it. I don't know why Jonah was so discouraged. I don't know why why it was that he didn't want to do this good work. We find out a little bit later in the story. But think about it. If there are people out there that merely need to hear the Word of God spoken and lived out and shown to them for them to experience good news we do that? Isn't it worth investing all of our energy to do that, to bring good news to people who are experiencing the really bad things of sin? Folks, there are people out there who are hungry for good news. They need it, and we have it. Why aren't we sharing? Come on, we could do this. We can share. A good word can come out of this house A good word can come out of your house. A good word can come from your cubicle in your office to bring good news to somebody's life. Don't keep it to yourself. It could just be that simply hearing it from you changes their life dramatically. How many surprises is that? Five. Here's number six. We are surprised by the hard heart of Jonah. Aren't we? I mean, he does this great work. Lives are changed. Lives are transformed. And he's upset. He's frustrated. He's angry. Oh, we've got to pray that God work on the believer's hearts always. Because even when we do good things, it seems that we can't always get it right. Finally, oops, we are surprised by the abundant grace of God. Some of you are reading Jonah as if it was something that happened hundreds of years ago, and that you know better. You know better than Jonah. You read his story, and you understand what's going on. But here's here's the thing, if this is not true for you in your life every single day, you have poor vision. You're not seeing things clearly. Here's why. The abundant grace of God has no bounds or limits, except for the bounds or limits that you put on it. If you are walking with Him every single day, He's going to show you things that you have never seen before. A living relationship with Jesus Christ isn't a wedding. It isn't something that just happens on one day and now you celebrate the memory of that for the rest of your life every year. A living relationship with Jesus Christ is precisely that a living, growing, motivating, inspiring relationship with Jesus Christ. He is showing you new ways to love and to be loved like you've never experienced before. Sometimes I wonder that the reason we don't share is because we're still hanging on to the anniversary of our wedding. And we've forgotten how to really love God. We've forgotten how to see how abundant His grace is and mercy is. Let's not forget, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. All right, so I'm looking at that clock, and we're going to start running. Is that okay? I know you want to be out of here before 2 o'clock, so... Tozer says this prayer will become effective when we stop using it as a substitute for obedience. It was Jonah's disobedience that drove him to that prayer. Prayer is an action. And here's what Sister White tells us, Ellen G. White. The Christian life is not made of unceasing activity or of continual meditations. Christians must work earnestly for the salvation of the lost. And they must also take time for contemplation, for prayer, and the study of the Word of God. This is in the Review and Herald. This is a powerful thought. Our lives are both things. We are meant to pray, but our prayer isn't meant to keep us contained to a space. Our prayer ought to cultivate in us a heart and a desire and passion to tell other people the good news. That's a good prayer. A good prayer that moves you to act. That's a good prayer. Let's keep going. Abstract meditation is not enough. Busy action is not enough. Both are essential to the formation of Christian character. Strength acquired in earnest. Secret prayer prepares us to withstand the allurements of society. And yet we should not exclude ourselves from the world. For our Christian experience is to be the light of the world. Folks, our prayer isn't meant to set us apart so that we hide the light that we have. Our prayer is meant to drive us into the midst of that craziness and be a light in the darkness. Do not crash. Do pray. Ah, I love this controller. Do not nothing. Do trend. So we're using the word hope trending. What does trend mean? Trend is a noun, and it says a general direction which something is developing or changing. I really want us to be a trending church. What does that mean for us? Well, I have this passage right here. We must live a two-fold life, a life of thought and action, of silent prayer and earnest work. God requires us to be living epistles known and read of all men. So our, our, our title for this event is Hope Training. The subcaption is a crash course, a crash course on how to live a life without fear. The very first lesson, the very first lesson is you. Are you being a living epistle? Are you living a life that demonstrate that you have hope inside of you? Are you living a life that demonstrates that God's love is working on your character? The first lesson that people will read, the first lesson that that they will understand about hope, is you. Is your prayer shaping you in such a way that when you go out into the world, people see hope? That you are a walking and living testament of God's goodness and grace? I don't know if you heard the song. There was a verse added during the worship and music. Beautiful. Ron Knott heard what my sermon was and he added this lyric. And this really captures the essence of what I think a healthy prayer life does. It says, Now I feel your call for this love to share, for this love is not all for me. Let my heart and my life be a living prayer that my neighbor walk with thee. Your prayer life ought to stir in you a passion, and a desire for others to know the good news. Don't keep it to yourself. Do not know. Do trend. Live a life of hope. This is coming from Ellen White. It says, but I knew that you were a gracious… Oh, this is Jonah chapter 4. Sorry. Jonah chapter 4. Here's what's really exciting. Jonah knows God. Yeah. He doesn't act like it, right? He doesn't act like he knows God. He knows God. He says… But I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And I didn't want people to know that. That's what he says. Read it. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1. He says, when I was back in Tarshish and you told me to go out, I decided I didn't want to do anything because this is who you are. And if this is who you are, man, I don't know if I want to give people hope. Does that make sense to you? It doesn't make any sense to me either. But why are we living like Jonah? Why are we keeping this good news to ourselves? If it's meant to restore and bring hope and compassion and change into people's life, to take them out of harm, and we know that God is like that and that's what he does, why are we keeping it to ourselves? Pray. Pray that this become true, not just for you, but it becomes true in the way that you live and you share with others, that you give them a gospel that takes them out of harm's way. Do not fear, but do hope. The greatest commandment by repetition, the greatest commandment by repetition is fear not. It's used over 80 times in the Bible. There's a good reason why we're calling this hope trending and not something else. We're calling this hope trending because guess what? Hope really drives and motivates people. Here, let me read something to you from a very interesting website called Forks Over Knives. Some of you have heard it. It's written by Dr. Carry Graff, MD, and this is what she's saying. She says, I have the good fortune to hear Dr. Dean Ornish speak at the American College of Lifestyle Medicine Conference in 2014. Impressively, he was the first physician to clinically demonstrate reversal of heart disease using lifestyle, something that we've known for quite a while. His work is so extensive and so credible that his program was approved by the Congress for Medicare Reimbursement. The title of Dr. Ornish's talk that day was The Power of Lifestyle Changes, Social Networks, and Love. He brought to my attention another great failing of my profession. She's a doctor. The fact that physicians try to motivate, motivate patients through fear, and that fear is a poor motivator in the long run. Sure. I've had patients quit smoking and start exercising and eating healthier right after their heart attacks, scared to death about having another. However, six months down the line, most were back to their bad habits. Sound familiar? Have you experienced this? He says, although fear is an excellent motivator, immediately following a life-threatening event, it is too uncomfortable to stay in that mindset for very long. Imagine if you motivated yourself to stick with your new, healthier lifestyle only by concentrating on what horrible things might happen to you if you didn't. I'm sorry, but that does not sound like a life worth living. I don't want that kind of gospel that the only way it motivates me is that I have to constantly be afraid. I want a gospel that motivates me because of who God is and his character of love. She goes on to say, we need to transition from thinking in terms of what bad things are going to happen if we don't change, to focusing instead on what good things will happen if we do. This process is called cognitive reframing, and it's crucial for any lasting lifestyle change. That would be true of faith. If your faith is only motivated because you are afraid, I'm sure you will burn out very quickly. Fear only leads to apathy. But imagine having a faith that's motivated by God's love. Imagine having a faith that is driven by knowing that being and taking the character of God in your life and expressing it to others removes fear, takes you out of harm's way, and protects those who you care about. I want a gospel that is worth telling. And good news that says, hey, you don't have to hurt anymore, and you don't have to hurt others, and you don't have to worry about being hurt. That's good news. Let's hope. Let's hope. Let's not fear. Do not stranger, but do neighbor. Do not stranger. Uh, the series is, Will You Be My Neighbor?, And what's really interesting about our strategy of Hope Trending is that we're totally changing how we do it. You keep hearing this thing called watch parties. And if you go to the Q&A next week, you'll be able to understand what that means or go on our website to get better clarity. As a church, we've done that in a couple of different ways, and I want to highlight a couple of ways that we've done that. Freshman Potluck, how many of you were here last year? Yeah, some of you? Freshmen are coming, they're just around the corner, about a month away, August 20th. I want to invite you to take out your Connect card, and the very first next step, very first next step, it's right here, it says, I want to participate in the Freshman Potluck on August 20th. We want to be good neighbors to those visitors who come to our campus, and our freshmen are the first batch of students that are coming, and we want to welcome them. I heard all kinds of amazing and great things from our students and from our members who participated in this event last year. So if you want to help us, we need your good cooking. And if you're not a good cook, don't cook. (laughs) But come. Come and be a good neighbor. Say hello. Welcome them into their Andrews University experience. Welcome them to their home church, Pioneer Memorial Church. You can do that. Another way that we... Our neighboring, many of you know this, Adventist community, uh, we have neighbor-to-neighbor just on the main street down here in Berrien Springs. If you're wondering which main street that is, I think there's only really one. So right next to Apple Valley, neighbor-to-neighbor, they're there week in and week out taking care and meeting the needs of people in this community. That's great. That's good. Both of these things are awesome. But have you noticed something? Unless you're actually at one of these things and meeting one-to-one, This is big picture stuff. I think one of the biggest problems that we have with evangelism is that we often think, remember evangelism, going and telling good news to people who are suffering from sin, is that we think that it's something that happens somewhere else. We think it's something that doesn't belong here. But I want to use a very pertinent example to communicate that it hits close to home. Some of you have heard a little bit about one of the most popular hashtags, and I want to share with you about this hashtag. Here's what's really important about neighboring. Context and value. When we say, will you be my neighbor, we mean context and value. To show an example of context, I want to talk about this hashtag. It's coming. There it is. Black Lives Matter. Listen to this article. Imagine that you wake up late one night to the sound of your home being burglarized. Through the crack in your bedroom door, you see several figures hauling out your television, computers, and nice china to their getaway car parked outside. Thinking quickly, you dial 911 on your iPhone. 911, what's your emergency? Help, you whisper, my home is being robbed. Stay where you are, miss, the other voice assures you, we'll look into it. Thank you, you whisper. My address is... Whoa, ma'am. The voice on the other end says, Why are you bringing an address into this? What, you say? My home is being robbed. Aren't you going to come and stop them? Well, I don't know why you need to make this about your home, ma'am, the operator says. All houses matter. Hmm. There is a huge difference between something being true and something being relevant. In the above conversation with an imaginary 911 operator, what he was saying was very true. All houses do matter. But at the moment, it wasn't relevant. It wasn't even helpful. All things considered, it was downright dangerous. You had an actual crisis going on at your house. That's why your house mattered. While the operator was lecturing you on how important all houses are, bandits were trying to figure out whether you could get all your stuff in one load or if they'd had to make two trips. It's the same error people who respond to Black Lives Matter with All Lives Matters are making. It's not that what you're saying isn't true. It's just not helpful. They go on to say this. The problem is, is All Lives Matters is that it ignores context. Like the 911 operator who doesn't understand why you're worried about your own house. Or like someone who runs through a cancer fundraising scre- uh, fundraiser screaming, there are other diseases too. The context of Black Lives Matter is not that other lives don't. The context of Black Lives matters, matters is that the value of black lives remains under assault in the United States. It's really easy to take a simple thing and make it so big that we don't understand it. And sometimes we do that with our neighbors and sometimes we do that with the gospel here's how we do it we make evangelism so big that it's about people who are across the ocean and not about people who are in my own family portraits that's the hardest thing isn't it the people that you know the people that you love the people that you hold dear folks I want to save the world, but I'm reserved about saving two people, Sophia, Jonah. They're first in my book. They mean the most to me. I I look forward to spending eternity with them. So here's what I want to caution you against. Hope Trending is going all over the world, 24 time zones. But we're asking you to do a watch party because we want you to be concerned about the neighbors that you know and not the ones that you don't. Contextualize this opportunity so that it means something to you, so that it matters to you. That's really important. Value. This last uh, spring in April, I went down to Denver, Colorado, and uh, there was this interview happening between an imam from Lebanon and a World Vision director. And what really moved me is that the World Vision Director, knowing the American mindset, was stating all kinds of statistics, was making all kinds of really important points to to ascribe value, saying all kinds of numbers. At the very end of the interview, the imam offers this closing thought. He says, one million lives or one life? The same. When I look at the trilogy parables of the loss that Jesus goes into. He talks about the lost coin. He talks about the lost sheep and he talks about that prodigal son. He's meaning to say whether we save a million people with this thing or one, it's the same. You can't quantify the value of someone receiving the good news and no longer living in fear. If all of this happens to save one, amen, hallelujah. I was sitting down with my daughter this week, and you should know that before I share a story about my children, I have this deal with them. I tell them, before I preach, I need to get your permission. It's not my story, it's their story. I want you to know this story cost me $10. Okay? (laughs) Okay? Very astute, very bright young lady by the name of Sophia. We're sitting there, and we're watching Property Brothers. Property Brothers show where there's one brother who's a realtor. The other brother is um, a renovator, like a house guy. He changes house. And they have these couples or friends. People come and say, I want to buy a house. And they help them find a house to fix their upper house. This couple that we were watching, they had a very large uh, budget, $750,000. Sophia looks at me, and she says, Daddy, can I have $750,000? And I said, Sophia, if I had $750,000, I would be happy to give you $750,000. But I, I really don't. A thought asked occurred. I'm like, Sophia, if you had $750,000, what, what would you do? And she, and she sat there and she thought for a minute, not that long, and she says, well, I would take a cruise. I'm like, a cruise? We've never been on a cruise. Maybe that's why she wants a cruise. I was like, well, what do you want to do on this cruise? And I mean, who do you want to take? And then she says to me, well, Daddy, how many people are in your family? How many people are in Mommy's family? I really just, I want all the people I know to be on this cruise. Folks, isn't that what heaven's about? I mean, simply put, that's all it is. Heaven is about, <laughs> is about that time and that place when all the people that you love are together. I hope that we would be moved in our prayer life, to actually do something to make that picture come true. A family portrait with all nearest and dearest there with Jesus Christ for all eternity in a place where there is no more harm. I want to appeal to you one more time to take out your Connect card. And I want you to consider, man, I do want my neighbors to be a part of my family portrait, so I'm going to host a watch party. Or if there's another way that you want to give, go ahead, and or to participate, go ahead and mark that volunteer's line. But here's what I want to ask you to do right now, because I want to make this real. This is not about someone across the ocean. We'll pray for them, and we we hope that God has people working their lives. This is about the people that you know. This is about the people that you love. Experiencing harm and don't have the good news. You can write their name in here or write their initials, and here's the commitment that I'm asking from you when you do this. It's two-part commitment. One, that you're going to pray for them and that you're going to lift them up. They don't have to be from here to be on this list. They can be from anywhere. We're looking for watch party hosts all across North America and the world. So put their name here or their initials here. Pray for them. Two, do something about it. Actually share the gospel. Share the good news with them. Let's work on the biggest family portrait that we possibly can.